right, here we go. Well, this is Mark M.O. Ellis with Warrior Wealth Solutions. Uh, Chris Jackson is out today, but we have Anthony Pagliaro with us once again to talk about uh, different topics, uh, business mostly, and, and how you can get your business fired up and moving. And uh, Anthony is a professional mixed martial artist. He's responsible for the self-defense and medical solutions. He's also a volunteer firefighter and EMT. So welcome once again to our show, Warrior Wealth Solutions, Anthony. Thank you. Awesome to be here. And uh, uh, I'm Mark Ellis. I am uh, the um, the uh, overall copywriter, blogger for the site, and uh, uh, for War Well Solutions, also content creator and uh, garbage man. And uh, I call myself the garbage man. You know why I call myself the garbage man? You have any idea? No, I don't. Well, there was a movie, great movie. You got to see it. It's called. Um, uh, um, I just had the doggone name of it on my Michael. Um, Michael Clayton, sorry. I just was thinking about this movie this morning. Michael Clayton is the name of it. And it's got uh, George Clooney in it. And George Clooney is a lawyer. He works at a big, gigantic law firm. And this is actually the guy that wrote the story. I can't remember his name. But the guy that wrote the story, uh, he actually worked at a law firm. And he was the garbage man. And basically, the garbage man does all the stuff that everybody else doesn't really want to do, you know? <laughs> Oh, okay. So he picks up all the loose ends, basically. He's a loose end guy. So that's what his job was. He was going around picking up all these loose ends. So at, at the very beginning of the movie, this guy gets, he's driving his car, and he hits a bicyclist, and he takes off. And so he does he does a hit and run, and basically he calls up the law firm and says, look, I hit and run this guy. I'm worried about it. So they call up George Clooney. The, the firm calls up George Clooney and says, go handle this guy because he's a piece of junk. You know, he's, 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 hit a, he's hit a guy on a bicycle, left him laying there on the ground. So... George Clooney's out this, this rich guy's house consulting him, you know, because nobody else wanted to deal with him. He's such a pain in the neck. So he's kind of like that. But but my job really isn't a pain in the neck here. It's just all these loose things that they do, you know, uh, organizing podcasts and all this other stuff sometimes. So, But it's not a pain or anything. I really enjoy doing it. So, But I call myself the garbage man because I'm picking up a lot of loose ends here. So just to let you know why I use that term. So anyways, so uh, this week I heard on... Um, uh, Facebook is getting uh, bigger. It's getting bigger and more powerful. A lot of these companies are getting much more larger. And uh, Facebook is now going to have a big, huge data center um, that is going to be located to, in uh, either Alabama or Georgia. I can't remember the two. And uh, so they're going to have a new massive... Uh, and, of course, the, uh, the states are very happy that whichever state it is, it's very happy to have that because it's going to employ an awful lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I don't use uh, Facebook. Uh, well, I do. I, I guess I use it a lot more than I think I do. Uh, from what I understand and what I've seen, I've done a lot of research on this. Facebook is probably one of the fastest ways to sell products, uh, rivaled only by email, uh, to, to selling products and getting your uh, brand out there and known. Uh, now, have you, uh, Anthony, have you ever actually used it much, or are you just kind of starting out with Facebook? So I've been using Facebook for a while, just uh, like a, a platform to talk to, you know, my, my brothers and sisters that were in the military and to keep in contact with family. Uh-huh. Um, I, I didn't really start using it until uh, my professional uh, mixed martial arts career when I had to do a lot of uh, advertising, a lot of publicity for myself, trying to get people to come to my fuss and trying to get photos and, you know, pictures and videos and doing all that fun stuff. Um, so it, it's been kind of, I would say the past two years that I'm using it more than I've ever used it before. Wow, okay. So now, um, 
with some of your your the, the business type of uh, venture now tell uh, tell the audience a little bit about what type of business that you have uh, and, and what uh, what it's all about so about two years ago i actually got licensed and inspired as a personal trainer um strength and conditioning coach um but i've been doing martial arts probably since i was maybe 10 10 or 11. um grew up in, in upstate new york um, and being from New York, you know, even though I wasn't in the city, I still had to learn how to, how to defend myself and, you know, keep out of trouble and do something I enjoyed to do. Um, so I started getting into mar uh, the mixed martial arts. Um, my biological father got me involved in Taekwondo and, and, uh, and then I went into the service and in the service I looked Jiu Jitsu and Judo and a little bit of wrestling. After the service is when I started to, you know, get into main to the mixed martial arts world and start dabbing into, you know, a little bit of every technique, every style. Um, so now, uh, within the past year, I've actually become uh, a boxing coach and self-defense instructor. Um, you know, I've been doing it over probably 11 to 12 years. Mm. But the past year, I've actually been trying to focus more on the the coaching and the and instructional part. Um, I'm getting old. I'm not going to be able to fight forever. <laughs> right, right. You know, look at look at Chuck Liddell. You know, Tito Ortiz. I mean, they still try to fight, but they they can't. You know, they're in their forties. And so I want to. You know, I want to get involved in something that we're. I'm still enjoying being around the MMA world and, and helping people grow and teaching them about it. How. Uh, uh how does your business benefit others other other than and I do realize you know you're you're helping people learn how to protect themselves but is there an is there like a confidence building aspect of this that some people enjoy you know being in martial arts being a kind of type of sport you know there's always that a lot of <clears throat> if you watch people on on you know they're always scared they have that little eye on the face and they're like I can't do it I really don't want to do it and then when they actually do it they're like oh wow that was pretty easy right um, it's the same thing it's the same thing with me it's, it's a yes you're, you're able to, to protect yourself and to get stronger to you know both mentally and physically um, but it's more a mental part in myself this aspect that I teach and being the physical part right if you know that know what you can do and how to use it when it comes time to actually use it you won't think about it because you'll have that confidence you'll have that that mental stability you know you'll you'll be you won't be scared you won't be nervous you won't overreact you'll be able to lean and, and you know talk it through or try to dissolve the, the, the problem more than actually have to use a self-defense right you know a lot of people there's people that Martial for the wrong reasons, you know. I know those those are the bullies, or those are the people that say, "Hey, I can. This, what 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 can you do?" Or, "Hey, I can I can punch this. What what can you punch?" You know, and people like we we tend to, to fade out, and you can realize people. So what I teach is that I really don't teach anything until like the third week you're there, and teach teach you the techniques in the very first week. Mine is more getting your 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 mind well, your body well. And, you know, getting everything in tune before we actually start doing the tips and, you know, really learning this science aspect. Right. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, so when you say people aren't taking it for the 
right reasons. So you're saying that some people like to just use it, uh, they think they're going to be in a cage match or they're going to go out and beat the tar out of somebody on the street or something like that and uh, uh, or act like a tough person, but in reality it's, it's, a, it's a lot of it's a character building kind of thing. Is that correct? That is very correct, yes. Uh-huh. I see. Okay. Well, you know, and it, I always thought that uh, something you know, would be a really good confidence builder um, just because some people aren't physical, and like you said, when, when someone starts to actually do something and they actually see the see some uh, um, success with it, uh, things that they didn't think they could do before, they are now suddenly doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so anyways, you are a big fan of Bruce Lee. I am a big fan of Bruce Lee. Love Bruce Lee. Yeah. Heard a great... I'm sorry, go ahead. He's always been, uh, he's always been my idol along with Claude Van Damme. They're one of the two reasons why I got into martial arts. Wow. Yeah, and uh, of course they used to call Jean-Claude Van Damme the muscles from Brussels. <laughs> that, was his, that was his nickname. I don't know if they still use it, but yeah. But he still looks pretty good. I mean, I saw him on TV it was uh, not too long ago, some sort of press conference. He looked pretty darn good, and uh, uh, gosh, it's just, you know, the saddest part about Bruce Lee is, is his, you know, his passing. I mean, it just, yeah. oh man, it's just, you reach the peak and then, you know. There's a guy, he wrote a musical called Rent. Um, and uh, it became very popular on Broadway. Um, and this guy worked at a diner. He worked in a diner, and if I remember correctly, he, he was, uh, and I don't know his name, but he worked in a diner during the day, all day long. He worked his rear end off, serving food and, and cooking hamburgers. And then he lived, I think, in an apartment just above, straight above. He just went upstairs. And that's where his apartment was. And he would sit there and write music all day and all night. And he did this for years and years, I don't know, for a long time. And uh, so he wrote a musical, and it was called Rent. And the thing, uh, they did it off-Broadway because, you know, they couldn't get anybody to Broadway produce it. So they did off-Broadway. Well, the line was going down the street for this thing. Apparently it was just super hot. And one of the, one of the songs went, went very viral and became a hit. Uh, and and some other and you know big time recording artists started recording it you know, and so anyways um, so he goes to, he he goes and eats out somewhere you know to celebrate with his friends and then he gets real sick and he dies, right when this thing goes nuclear this whole entire this becomes the hottest property on Broadway, uh, and and I mean right when he's I mean just starting to taste the fruits of his labor he dies because when he goes to the hospital they misdiagnose him and he had some really bad they could have taken care of it but they misdiagnosed him and he died or they gave him the wrong thing and he, he, he I mean it was a tragic story but you know you get to this you go all the way through all these different things and you reach this peak and then boom you're just not there anymore that's what Bruce Lee reminds me whenever I think of Bruce Lee I think of this other guy. You know, they, they reach this peak and then it's just, you know, and it's it's tragic, tragic because the stuff that, um, to me it is, I mean, maybe not to others, but I just think of, wow, you know, what if he was still alive? How many movies would he have made? You know, what kind of movies would he have made? Because, you know, Bruce Lee was a heck of an actor. I mean. <laughs> he, was a, he was a darn good actor. Oh, my you know, goodness. Like I was talking, the last podcast we did, I think, was a couple, couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Bruce Lee. And if he was stuck today, guaranteed he'd be like the top top fighter on the UFC or, or the top martial artist anywhere. I mean, he was, he was inspirational. You know, he knew when to use his, his techniques. He knew when to use his styles. And he, he was more of a, I hate to use this word, but he more of a lover than a fighter. Right. Oh yeah. I heard a great story 
uh, this week. And actually, you can watch it on YouTube, but it was Jackie Chan, who was in a couple of Bruce Lee movies. He was a stuntman with Bruce Lee. Yep. And, uh, I mean, oh, my gosh, the story. And the way Jackie Chan tells it, he's so talented. You know, he's another guy. He's a super talented guy. But uh, but he was more of a stuntman than a martial artist. I mean, he studied martial arts. Of course, he studied. He grew up. Jackie Chan grew up in a... Um, in a uh, school of performing arts, basically. It was a very strict school. You learned dance, you learned singing, you learned all these things. But it was real traditional Chinese-style stuff, you know. Kind of like, you know, becoming... I don't want to equate it to this, but it's kind of like, you know, back in the old days when people used to... Women used to become geisha girls. They would go through this yeah. real rigorous training to be a geisha girl. Well, it, it was all based on old... Way you know, we always think of geisha as some sort of a sex object, but these these were basically maids and servants, and there was a real strict code in Japan on how everything was to be done. They're so they're so meticulous and everything. So uh, so Jackie Chan, when he of course he's Chinese, he's he when he went to school, it was it was very traditional old Chinese stuff. But anyway, so he was a stuntman on a set on a Bruce Lee movie. On the very first Bruce Lee movie he did, he said Bruce Lee was already so popular in China because his his uh, the Green Hornet TV show was not called the Green Hornet TV. They they it went into syndication, and China was using it, and uh, they they started airing it on their television channels. And they called it they didn't call it the Green Hornet. They called it the Cato Show because Bruce Lee was. I mean, when you watch those, I mean, I, even when I was a kid, I mean, I was little when that came out. I was black and white. TV. I always thought the Green Hornet was ten times cooler than the Batman show, by the way. But so we always, I always watched it to see Cato. I didn't care about everything else or anybody else. I, you know, I didn't even know who Bruce Lee was. I just seen this guy, man. And to find out later that they had to slow down all that footage because he was too fast. It was said no one's going to believe anybody can move this fast. So they had to slow down a lot of that footage. So Jackie Chan was on uh, a set, and he said, you know, the Cato show was big in China. You know, everybody loved Bruce Lee. And it, so everybody was following around. He would just kind of peer from behind everybody because he was the smallest runt, you know. So he said, so this one day, they needed somebody to swing down on a rope and land on his back from way up in a, you know, way high. So he, Jackie Chan gets on this, and Bruce Lee's standing there watching because this is a stunt on his movie, right? And Jackie Chan swings down, lets go of the rope, and lands on his back. And it's pretty from, from a pretty considerable height, you know. So, so Jackie Chan swings down on this rope. And he lets go of it, and he lands. Boom! And the director says, not good enough. And Jackie Chan gets up. Well, he notices that every time he lands on his back, Bruce Lee, you know, this goes back to where you're talking about how Bruce Lee was kind of a delicate guy, really, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Bruce Lee would just stand there and shudder every time, he, you know, he said he would just quiver all over. He says he couldn't, you know, he's thinking, man, this guy's taking, you know, getting really trashed, you know. So then, and you know, in China, they don't have a lot of the standards they have here, so a lot of times he's landing on hard surfaces. He's not landing on, they don't take very many precautions, you know. <laughs> So, so Jackie Chan noticed that. He said, I'm going to play on this, you know, because Bruce Lee is watching me do these stunts. So he goes back up to do it again, and he lands. But this time when he lands, he gets up and he kind of staggers around. He said, now, he's, I'll tell you something. He said, I get hurt every day. <laughs> every single day I was getting trashed from doing these stunts. So he said, it's nothing to me. He said, so I'm staggering around. All of a sudden, Bruce Lee is mortified. He's like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? You know, he's coming over to him. He says, now Bruce Lee is paying attention to him, you know. This, this is his life dream, you know. <laughs> so yeah, he goes right. up and he lands, really. So then um, so then Bruce Lee starts picking him to do stunts in uh, some of the other movies and a lot of the other scenes because he felt bad for him, you know. So so Jackie Chan, you know, he's really playing on this. So there's a scene where, uh, where Bruce Lee's got these two sticks he's fighting with, and he's beating the crap out of everybody as usual. And Jackie Chan's going to be the last guy to run up, and Bruce Lee wanted him to be the last one. 
because it's going to be a little bit more, you know, a prolonged or exaggerated or something. Well, Bruce Lee accidentally hits Jackie Chan across the head with a stick by accident. And he completely freaks out. Bruce Lee fle completely freaks out. So anyway, so Jackie Chan, he's, he, he staggers around. And he said, I'll tell you, he said, I get hit every day. He said, this is nothing for me, you know. So, <laughs> but he's playing on it. So Bruce Lee is just mortified. He's hugging him and kissing him. Oh, man, no, what's wrong? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, he's just begging for mercy. <laughs> and Jackie Chan's like, you know. And so all day, the rest of the day when they were making the, the movie, uh, in different scenes, all through that movie, he said he would look over him and give him a thumbs up every five seconds, you know. And he's thinking, man, this is so cool. Bruce Lee's really, you know. So Bruce Lee started requesting Jackie Chan to be in all of his movies. You know, he just, out of guilt, I guess, maybe. I don't know. And he really played on it, you know. And uh, so anyway, but then he became kind of, got to become friends. And so Jackie Chan's walking down the street in China one day, uh, in Hong Kong, and there's Bruce Lee walking by himself. He's just, he said, just, he said, it was amazing. He said, the guy was just kind of walking by himself. And he said, then, uh, he, he, he said, hey, Jackie, what's up? He said, hey, he, he, you know, he's thinking, man, Bruce Lee remembers me. You know, this is great. You know, he said, uh, not much. He said, he said, well, what are, you, what are you doing? You know, he said, where are you going? And, uh, you know, they're just walking by each other. And Jackie says, I'm going to go bowling. And I guess Jackie Chan had won a bowling championship in Hong Kong or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and so anyway, he said, yeah, I'm going to go bowling. Uh, Bruce Lee goes, can I go with you? He's saying, oh, my gosh, Bruce Lee wants to go bowling with me. This is great. So they go bowling in, you know, in Hong Kong there, I guess. And, uh, and they, you know, they're in there, and, I mean, all of a sudden people are just freaked out. You know, they're like, you know Bruce Lee, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, me and Bruce Lee are friends, you know. He's acting all cocky and everything. And, and so they, they went bowling together. They, they bowled, you know. And, and then after that, they went and um, – this is kind of sad. They went and, uh, and Bruce Lee said, well, i got to go now, you know, and – and uh, they hail a cab over, and, and this cab pulls over to get Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee gets in the cab, turns around and looks at Jackie like he's going to say something. And he just sits there and looks at him for a long time. And then, um, and then, and then, uh, then he didn't say anything. And it was, he said it was the oddest thing. It was like he wanted to tell him something. But then he just didn't even say goodbye or anything. He just turned and looked at him for a long time and got in the car and left like, this is going to be the last time you ever see me, you know. And he said it wasn't very long after that that he found out, you know, that he passed away. But, um, I mean, that's just kind of an amazing story, you know. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. That'd be something to, that'd be something to talk about for, for a long time. Yeah, and I didn't embellish it. Like I said, you can see this whole story on, on YouTube. It's He really does a great job of telling the story. He's very funny, Jackie Chan is. But, but, um, but anyway, yeah. And uh, so, but I really... I was a really big. I, I was really into it. When I was listening to it because I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. Uh, even though I have, I'm I'm like the negative sports guy. Anything requiring any kind of effort of getting out of a recliner, you know, it's just torture for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, okay. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, move on to the second part of our conversation, which will be we're gonna talk about a company that's impressed us. And today, and uh, I want to let you pick the company you want. I, I'll, uh, I'm going to let you do some talking for a while because I'm going to too long here. So, uh, so what company impresses you, and why does that company impress you? So, you know, being in martial arts world, you're always looking at you know physical fitness, your fitness things. You're looking at tours. You're looking at different aspects of, of life and inspiration. Um, you know, you, you brought it up when you were talking about it, and that, that's Disney. You know, a lot of people go there, don't realize what it does for people. Um, you know, going there, you're, you're with family, you're not thinking about the phones, you're not thinking about 
you know, getting on the phone, talking to talking to family and, you know, texting. You're there and you're having fun. You're getting to know your family, you know, your kid. It's it's a big inspiration to be there. Um, you know, there's always people paying attention to you. You're doing things. You're getting out of, as I like to say, you're getting out of the realm. You know, back in the day, we're growing up. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have the cell phone. We didn't go knock on the door or go throw a rock out a window or, you know, we actually had to get out and do stuff. We had to go play with mud. We had to go play with, you know, in the snow and the rain. And nowadays, everybody's phones on their iPads, you know, looking at YouTube, watching Netflix. They really don't have, I, I can't say they don't have, but they're, everybody's starting to learn their people skills. And when you go to Disneyland, you have to use nothing but people because you know you're talking to people, you're yourselves, you're around your family, and and I think that is a big, in a way, Disneyland is a, a big getting to each other and getting to know your family, and I, I think that's a big inspiration. Yeah, I think Disney. Uh, I think Disney is. Um... When I was growing up, it was the biggest deal. I mean, I would watch that Wonderful World of Disney. Of course, I was—I grew up in the '60s, so I'm 61 uh, this month, and um, I—I would watch that and go, you know, the—the the dream, the ultimate dream, was to go to Disneyland because there was no Disney World, and I grew up in El Paso, Texas, where we had nothing but desert, and um, mm -hmm. just to see that—I mean, just to see California, you know, is wow. Look at the ocean and. And you know, just all this cool stuff, and all I knew was El Paso. I never, I think I went to Pittsburgh once with my mom on a train when my brother got married, and that was it. And uh, but you know, that was the ultimate dream, man, was to go to Disneyland. I mean, for every kid, and um, I think it's kind of ruined it for me, though. Is now, of course, I grew up, and then we moved to Florida before they built Disney World, we got to Florida in '78. And by then, Disney had already started quietly acquiring acreage in Orlando, but nobody, you know, it wasn't released to the public yet. And then, uh, but what really went it for me was, they've got one built now in France. They've got one built in Japan. They're gonna, they, they've got all these places they're building now. And it used to be, uh, it, Disney was so exclusive to America, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was like, if you wanted to see Disney. If you want to see Disneyland or Disney World, you had to come to America, you know? And yeah. I get a little bit worried. Well, I'm not a little bit worried. I get a lot worried when I see a company that's... And now Disney has just... I don't know if you know this or not. Disney has just acquired the rights to all of uh, Fox. They bought uh, oh, no, Marvel, about that. bought Marvel, bought Star Wars Empire from Lucas, uh, and now they bought 20th Century Fox. They bought everything but the news division, I think. So they don't they don't have that. I think Fox want to consolidate and just focus on their biggest cash cow, which I think is their. They have kind of a conservative slant there, so I guess that's what they're doing. And then, and then Disney acquired also. They now have. Uh, they have acquired the rights to Predator, the Alien movies. I mean, you just name it. They've got Terminator. I think is in there. Might be in there. I'm not sure, but, I mean, they've just acquired a, a crap load of stuff. And so what bothered me was more than anything has been the last couple of years since they acquired the Star Wars Empire. I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing Star Wars toys and I went to I went to, I went to Kohl's one day with my wife and they had Star Wars 
uh, all over the store. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go over the appliances to get it. This is when the first movie came out that Disney did, uh, the one that J.J. Abrams did. Uh, I don't know what episode it is. I got them all lost. I haven't even seen the latest one. But I went anyway, and so I went over to that side of the store to get away from it. And I'm in the appliance section, and there's a Star Wars toaster. There's Star Wars blenders. <laughs> And they toast the word Star Wars on the side of your toast. <laughs> I get a little bit worried about market saturation. You know, if you see something, it's just not, I don't know, it's just something that's not unique anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's my fear. The whole Well, it's, it's probably well gone now, you know, the uniqueness of it. But it seems like when you lose, lose your, if they, if they had just, you know, if they had just kept it, you know, to a certain degree and... and I mean, you know, the thing of it is, too, here's another thing that happened was, when Star Wars first came out, this will show you what I mean, they acquired, uh, well, uh, Hasbro acquired, somehow acquired the rights to make some figurines from the movie. Of course, at that time, they had no idea the movie's going to be this big. They just went ahead and did it. They thought, well, this is kind of cool, so we'll go ahead and, you know. So then they made the Luke Skywalker and the little thing he rode around in in the movie and you know, R2-D2 and a couple things. There was only a handful of them. Those those things are so collectible now, you could get thousands of dollars for them. But since this, the last batch of movies, I don't know if you've watched it, but you can go through stores now. And uh, I was in um, Ollie's. The store's kind of like Big Lots and all this, you know. And they had this massive table of Star Wars stuff, and it was all marked way down. It was like 75% off because nobody was buying it. I mean, it was just piles of it sitting there. I mean, just every kind of toy you can imagine was just piled up there. And I was just thinking, that's a shame that Disney, you know, they're going to, they're going to, I'm afraid they're going to milk it to death. <laughs> yeah. Know. You know, so, yeah, but, you know, but, you know, Disney is, is, is the business end of it. Really, when you go to the, the theme parks, man, they're designed for, to, to get, your, to do, it, it's socially engineered to, uh, and of course, you know what Disney's motto is, don't you? Yeah. Make make people happy, right? Yes. That's that's the whole motto. And so, but you know, the uh, something I didn't know was they have they have socially engineered that place to where you know at the end of the day they changed the music in the park. They they t- they turn it out to uh, more soothing music, and they have a gentle voice that says you know you you know that leads you out of the park, you know because I mean everything's been thought up. You know I mean it's just amazing, and the fact that there's a city underneath Disney World itself. I mean they built an entire city under there. Um, so what you see in Disney World, there's there's two times or three times as much underneath the ground, actually. That's what my friends all told me when they worked there. There's stores for employees and places to eat, you know, big big places to eat down there and everything. Mm-hmm. So. So anyway, well, the, the com- uh, uh, anything else you wanted to say about Disney that that impressed you or? No, I think it's there's not really much. About Disney, I mean, you have to go there. You have to, you have to experience it. I mean, we there's so many things that Disney does, and there's some things that Disney can't do. And you can go on forever to talk about Disney. Yeah. But I think the main thing you need to do is to go there and enjoy it, and it's just the big family aspect of it. Well, I know I was a kid, man. It was that was I was I lived an hour away from Disney World, and we went. I mean, quite frequently. I mean, I just loved it when I was a kid. 
it just, um, it was just the coolest place on the planet to go, you know, I mean, it really was, I mean, I just thought it was neat, then they built Epcot later, and things changed some more, but, uh, I think that place must be massive, now, I haven't been there in a long time, maybe 10, 15 years, or longer, and, uh, I mean, you know, the last time I was there, I rode a Star Wars ride, and then I went and saw an Indiana Jones show they had there, too, but that place has got to be massive, oh, wow. by, I mean, that Universal Studios next door to it, I guess, so, Anyway, well, the company I picked, company I picked was uh, Google for today, and the reason I decided to pick Google was um, I used to show videos of Google to my class when I taught. I was a teacher for 16 years at this private school, and I used to show, uh, you know, kids who were interested in getting jobs. You know, I'd say, well, you know, let's look at some really cool companies to work for, because you know, kids they don't, uh, you know, when you're younger and even when you're in high school, you're like, well. What, what do you know? What do I want to go into? So I would always give all kinds of suggestions. Some kids are more academically gifted than others. That doesn't mean that you can't be productive and successful, you know. And um, but one of the companies I profile, of course, you got to be very smart to get into is Google. You have to take like 15 genius tests to get into that sucker. I mean, it was all in this video. <laughs> I'd show them this documentary on it. 15 genius tests, you know, and, uh, I mean, they very, I mean, I mean, oh my goodness, the stuff you had to go through just to get your foot in the door with Google, but the kind of thinking that they do, and then, of course, once you get in there, it's like a, it's like a play land for, it's almost, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like a Disneyland think tank, you know, it's got mm -hmm. all this cool stuff to do in there, I mean, they've got, they've got virtual reality rooms where you put on these things on your face and you just lay down and relax and you're in a virtual world and i mean just all kinds of really crazy stuff everywhere you go there's bowls of m&ms and they, you know you can go and make your own lunch or you can go to, i mean just amazing what they have at that place and they made it as fun and interesting as they can and innovative uh you know i mean in other in most companies you know they build cubicles I would say Google just has wide open spaces so you can walk clear across the other side of the room and, and, and see that Joe's at his desk and say, hey, or at his work spot or whatever you want to call it. They don't even call mm -hmm. them workspaces. It's more like fun, fun spaces. And you go over there and say, hey, what are you working on? Because I got, got an idea I want to shoot at you. And so it used to be the old standard model was have those cubicles up and don't let anybody look at each other, make sure they're working all the time, make sure they're putting that data in. You know? But what that did was that stifled growth and creativity. So Google took the totally opposite approach, and then there's you know big glass wall there where you can see your kids playing and all that stuff. I mean it's just you know, and they got a school there, you know. I mean it's just amazing. Um, but the reason why Google's cutting ahead of everybody is because of this. This is not the first time in history this has been done. Uh, if you go back to the, the Medici family, uh, back in Renaissance Europe, this family was the became the biggest banking family. On the planet at the time, they were like the Rockefellers, a precursor, of, you know, billionaires and trillionaires, and so they uh, they basically went around and they collected geniuses. And um, I just give you an example. Of this one of the, the members of the Medici family was just walking the streets of Florence, I think it was, and he sees this mentally challenged person. He's sitting there on the ground and he's drawing pictures, and this guy is drawing architectural pictures that are very detailed and he stops and looks at this guy and he goes he said uh he said what are you doing and he said i'm i'm you know i i was uh you could barely talk and he's drooling all over the place and he said this they kicked me out because i you know 
for whatever reason. He didn't know why even, but he was a genius architecturally. And he winds up building this massive cathedral for the Medici family that is a domed structure. Do you know that they cannot replicate that to this day? They've tried to replicate it on a smaller scale. I saw a documentary on this. They could not replicate what this man did, as he was such a genius. But that's what the Medici family did. They went around and they collected geniuses up to work with them. You know, uh, Michelangelo, a sc sculpting genius. You know, and uh, and they bankrolled those guys, and they were um, they were big time patrons of this sort of thinking. So uh, anyway, so that's what Google's doing. They're doing the same thing the Medici family did. They're collecting geniuses. Now here you got. I give you a good example how they cut ahead of everybody. Remember we were talking about uh, Facebook and how they're going to have this big data center. Well, well, Google thought of a better plan. See, when you put your when you put your data center on a state's land, you got to pay a thing called taxes, right? So Google's guys got together and said, "How can we get around that? You know, without you know." overtly just buying everybody out and paying off politicians, right? Because that's money going out. So what they did was, they said, we're going to have our data centers on boats. And they're going to be way out in the ocean in uh, territory-free waters. Now you're going, okay, now how's that going to work? How are they going to, well, number one, they're going to beam their data from very powerful uh, uh, radio waves. Kind of like the way I get my internet here with the radio frequency internet I've got. You know, They're going to beam it uh, for, from uh, through a satellite system they probably have. And, and they're going to beam it out of there, and it's going to go in. So their data is going to be out in the ocean. And you're going to say, well, where are they going to get the power from? Well, these boats are designed that the waves, any waves at all, will cause the boat to bob up and down. And that motion creates the energy they need to run the boats. Now, is, is, that, is that not incredible? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so even though I'm not a lover of huge gigantic companies and because they start they start social engineering people and they start to do a lot of things that I'm not crazy about, you got to really hand it to them for being a unique company that thinks way outside the box when and of course you know, and and like I said they're collecting geniuses so what can you say, you know? Um, so that was the company I decided to profile today, but anyways. All right. Well, that probably is there anything else you'd like to add to this podcast, uh, Anthony? I know I did a lot of talking today, but I know you're fine. Um, no, I think we we've pretty much stopped. I mean, there's about we've talked about Disney, we've talked virtually Jackie Chan. You know, everything starts small. And you can't <laughs> you can't really you can't give up on your on your hopes. And I mean, the last podcast still sticks. You can't sit there for six, seven months and work on something and then. And if that starts moving and then give up with you know give up on on the first month just because you're not doing what you expected it to do. Yeah. You got to stick with it and you got to keep on moving. Being in the business world, got patience. I think patience is the biggest thing that a lot of people don't have or don't know how to to to, to accomplish it. So I say, no matter what business, no matter what what opening you have, stick with it. I mean, you work a year, you work a couple months, you work, you know, however long to get there. Why give up just in that first month? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I guess be, I mean, one of the reasons a lot of people don't have patience is they see a lot of these. You see a lot of young people, though, uh, Zuckerberg being one of them, you know, the guy started Facebook. But they had very quickly, you know, just they went from zero, I mean, zero to 900 miles an hour. Now, you know, you went from zero to a billionaire, you know, how... And I don't think that yeah. ever, world history-wise, I don't think that's ever happened before the advent of the Internet too often. 
uh, where you go from, you know, I mean, starting that small. And things are happening now that are just so amazing. I saw this. Uh, there's a great video on YouTube again. It shows these guys. They built these. Um, they started a satellite, uh, a satellite business from their garage. They actually have a whole crew of people working in this garage. I mean, you should see it. <laughs> they got a picture of it, and and they got the garage door open. It shows them all in there with their equipment. But the satellites they launch are like cardboard. They're little pieces of cardboard. So when the space station go up goes up, they can launch like 30 or 40 of those, and they unfold when they go out into space. And they're they're powered by solar energy, and they're these little tiny. They look like little tiny square boxes. Um, they're about I don't know a foot long, and they're about I don't know two inches wide, and they and they unfold, and these things collect data and shoot them back down to Earth, and they can put three hundred of them up. So they're circling the Earth constantly, updating information, which means Google with its satellite imagery now, thanks to these guys, if I'm not mistaken, can update every hour now what's on the Earth. Which is, you know, they could keep track of things, climate changes, or whatever it is they're looking at. They can do this, you know, uh, it's updated like automatically, you know, uh, now because they got nothing. And, and, and the guy was showing us, and it's on a TED Talks too. He's showing this thing, and he's like, he's like, you see this thing, big gigantic thing I'm standing next to? That takes millions of dollars to build and, and bazillions of dollars to launch into space. He said, but ours, he said, because they're light pieces of cardboard, they get up there for next to nothing, you know. And we put 300 up at once. And it, and it costs very little money, you know. I mean, it's it's just amazing the age we're in now. I mean, it blows my mind, really does. But anybody can do it, you know. I mean, you know, it's 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 wide open to anybody that wants to give it a shot. So anyway, well, uh, I guess that just about wraps it up. So this has been um, Mark Elmo Ellis and uh, Anthony Anthony Pagliaro with Warrior Well Solutions. Uh, stay tuned for our next. Um, podcast which should be in just another couple of days hopefully we'll have more people on here next time anthony uh we're gonna have yeah. uh, uh today we had some folks that had to bow out to illness or whatever so but we will be back and uh thanks for listening and uh, god bless and have a great day